Hello, everyone, and welcome. Thanks for tuning in to Insurance Uncovered, your source for insurance news and perspective from thought leaders in the property casualty insurance industry. Now in Season 5 of NAMIC's podcast, I'm your host, Kathy Imus, and today we're uncovering Distracted Driving, what new efforts from the Governor's Highway Safety Association are doing to keep roads safe and how insurers can help. Plus, progress toward legalizing marijuana at both the state and federal levels. And the Resilient America Act receives widespread support. We'll highlight the key mitigation strategies included in the bill. But first, legal sales of recreational marijuana are set to begin in New Jersey this week. Governor Phil Murphy announced on Twitter that sales would begin in the state on April 21st for adults age 21 and older. Recreational marijuana was legalized in the state following the overwhelming approval of a ballot referendum in November of 2020. Recreational marijuana now has been legalized in 18 states as well as Washington, D.C. Meanwhile, in the nation's capital, Congress is pushing to have marijuana legalized nationwide, but the timeline for the legislation has been pushed back. Originally, the Senate planned to introduce a comprehensive reform bill known as the Cannabis Administration Opportunity Act later this month, but now it's on track for some time in August. The bill would remove cannabis from the federal list of controlled substances and help repair the U.S. criminal justice system. This announcement comes a week after the House passed its version of the bill, the Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Expungement Act. NAMIC has previously supported the safe banking marijuana federal legislation. However, neither the House or Senate bills currently include a safe harbor provision for financial institutions and insurance companies to provide services to cannabis businesses. Also in Congress, members of the House voted to advance the NAMIC-supported Resilient America Act by an overwhelming bipartisan margin. NAMIC worked with Representatives Peter DeFazio and Sam Graves, the chair and ranking members of the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, to craft the legislation, which would provide badly needed resources to America's communities in the face of severe climate events. DeFazio says this bill reflects a bipartisan agreement that will significantly enhance U.S. mitigation and resiliency efforts. Federal policy that focuses on investment, in mitigation and bolstering resilience is basic good governments and lessens the impacts of future disasters. For years, studies have demonstrated that taxpayers save up to $11 for every single dollar invested in mitigation before disaster strikes. There is no better investment. The Resilient America Act would create a significant number of new resources to make homes and infrastructure more resilient to catastrophes. It would increase funding for FEMA's Building Resilient Infrastructure and Communities, or BRIC, program by more than doubling the amount that can be set aside from the Disaster Relief Fund. Well, the NAIC Spring National Meeting took place this month in Kansas City, Missouri, and one significant development during the meeting was related to the concept of collecting and cataloging protected class data about individual consumers. NAMIC identified this as a dangerous and unwanted concept for consumers and insurers alike and wholly unrelated to the insurance risk. 
NAMIC's continued advocacy work to explain the danger in collection and reporting of race, sexual orientation, and gender identity was well received, and the work stream opted not to put forward the proposal for a vote. Instead, the work stream cited a renewed focus on access to care and ways to increase insurance availability. Another significant development was the NAIC opting not to vote on the climate disclosure survey at the executive plenary level. The reason cited for the non-vote was because the multi-state survey is voluntary. Therefore, approval by the full NAIC membership is not needed. As the association continues to navigate these challenges and other emerging obstacles, NAMIC is committed to being out front and vocal on these important issues. National and state organizations are stepping up efforts to encourage drivers to keep their attention on the road with a special focus on curbing behavior during April, which, by the way, is Distracted Driving Awareness Month. Fatalities from distracted driving have increased over the past decade with an estimated 3,100 deaths in 2020. And that's on top of another 420,000 Americans injured in distracted driving accidents. On today's Unscripted, NAMIC CEO Neil Aldridge sits down with the Governor's Highway Safety Administration's Pam Fisher to talk about the organization's push to keep America's roadways safe. Today on Insurance Unscripted, we are joined by Pam Fisher of the Governor's Highway Safety Association. The GHSA represents state and territorial highway safety offices and is dedicated to the goal of promoting traffic safety as a national priority. NAMIC has recently joined the group, making us one of about 150 partner groups that are part of the association's goals. So April is also Distracted Driving Awareness Month. Obviously, this is something that the insurance industry is very interested in. Other partners, the various highway safety organizations, including the Governor's Highway Safety Association here joining us today, are very interested in these issues. There's clearly a problem on our roadways in a number of instances dealing with distracted driving. And so we thought today we would highlight some of these issues with Pam. So Pam, first off, thanks for joining us today. I'm thrilled to be here and welcome to uh, our associate membership program. We are thrilled to have you all uh, join with us on our shared mission of making our roads safer. That's great. So let's start there. So tell us a little bit about the Governor's Highway Safety Association, what it does, uh, what priorities are, a little bit of background of the organization, et cetera. Sure. Happy to do that. We are a Washington, D.C.-based membership association. Uh, We've been around for for more than 50 years, and our focus is representing the state highway safety offices. Those are the folks that address the behavioral safety issues. They're not the road builders or the bridge builders. We are the folks who focus on the behaviors that put us at risk on the road. Um, So we do that work. Um, We help the states with best practice. We also represent their interests with the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, our federal partner. Uh, we represent their interests on the Hill because we have, you know, funding coming from the federal government. And I think um, the the third piece of this, which is very critical to the work I do, is that we really um, work to promote traffic safety as a national priority to get the public aware of the magnitude of the traffic safety problem so that we put our energy and effort and resources behind it so that 
we get to our, our ultimate goal, which is nobody being killed or injured on our roadways and everybody gets home safely to their families. Yeah, it's a <clears throat> worthy goal and one that we share. The uh, It's an interesting phenomenon. I talk about this a lot whenever I'm out talking to groups, particularly about auto insurance issues uh, and safety issues. There seems to be this perception in the world that cars have never been safer and and, and, and people wear their seatbelts and there's airbags and, you know, we have the safety ratings and all of these kinds of things, at which all of which is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, we seem to have this plague on the roadways. So t- start there. Talk a little bit about the magnitude of the problem we're seeing here. Despite sure. this perception of safe cars, talk mm-hmm. a little bit about what the reality really is that we're seeing. Well, you're right. I mean, cars have gotten safer and safer, and I don't think anybody can argue with that. And when you think about, you know, just what happens in the event of a crash, you know, the construction of the vehicle, we have a steel reinforced safety cage that if you're in the seating seat where you're supposed to be in your seatbelt and you've got, you know, all these other things with airbags and so forth, you're you're going to walk away very likely from that crash. The problem is that we we have people that are doing things that are not allowing uh, the vehicle to perform the way it should, and that starts with seatbelts. And you know, as much as people say, "Well, goodness, everybody wears seatbelts," well, you know, almost half of the people who die in crashes are not belted. So we have not solved the problem yet. We've got to get people in seatbelts, and we're also engaging in some risky behaviors that. You know, in spite of, again, the protective factor of the vehicle um, is not only impacting the folks inside the vehicle, but people out there sharing the road with them, other other passengers, other vehicle drivers, um, but also pedestrians, bicyclists. And now, of course, we have people riding e-scooters, right? We have micromobility out there on the road. So as much as the vehicle has is protecting the folks within it, we're still dealing with the folks that are out there that are not protected by the vehicle. So we've seen upticks in pedestrian fatalities, bicyclist fatalities, and of course now, as I mentioned, e-scooters. But the behaviors that we've been engaging in for years and years and years haven't, you know, we haven't solved the problem. And we have to get the public to understand that if you you know, drive distracted if you pick up your cell phone or you, you know, let your mind wander or you're overly tired or you've had something to drink and or maybe you're on a medication or maybe you just you're in a state where you can legally smoke marijuana. Those things impact your ability to safely operate a vehicle and those decisions you make in that vehicle affect everybody else out there on the road that you're, you're sharing it with. There's also issues of speeding, you know, um, it's a huge problem in our country. It's kind of, we called it for, the forgotten safety problem. And we know that a third of, of fatalities out there have speeding as a component, um, you know, as a factor in that crash. Um, so, you know, we're, we're continuing to struggle with things that we've thought we've beaten. You know, people say it's socially unacceptable to drink and drive, but people still drink and many folks are chronic about this and they get behind the wheel and 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 they kill themselves or others. So we have to understand that the decisions we make have a real impact on what happens out there on the road. And all of us, regardless of mode, are really responsible for what we're doing out there. And, and it starts with each of us in terms of thinking, what can I do to um, improve my safety? But then also understand that because we are sharing the road with others, my decisions impact those people too. So we have to 
think about this and it really is, you know, about changing the culture and understanding that we can keep making cars safer and safer, you know, and the ultimate is we're trying to get to self-driving vehicles where we take the decision-making, you know, out of the hands of the driver, but we're a long way from that. It's going to take a long, long time. So, so we're continuing to struggle with these problems. And, um, and as much as, you know, we were starting to see improvements, we're going in the wrong direction. Yeah, I think last year, I think I saw a statistic that showed the number of fatalities increased, um, which is a, a very strange trend of that. I think people also, if you just go out and spend a little time driving, you see speed, you mentioned, everybody seems to be driving 80 miles an hour is like the normal speed, no matter where you are now. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just these interesting, I also think there's some interesting I'm not sure drivers really know what to do. Some I know when I find myself driving in an urban area in particular with the new bike lanes mm-hmm. and I'm driving, I don't, I'm not sure, am I supposed to turn across the bike lane? Do I do that? Are the bikes supposed to stop? You know, I think there's just these weird unknowns that contribute to some of these problems. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of factors at play. And so, you know, it's interesting. We get a driver's license depending upon what state you live in, you know, could be 15, 16. I'm in New Jersey. We don't license until folks are 17. We're actually the oldest licensing state in the nation. But we get our driver's license and then that's it. Yeah. You know, And it, it is really incumbent upon all of us to stay up to date on what is happening out there. And that one of the one of the roles of the State Highway Safety Office is to educate the public about changes in laws, you know, responsibility of sharing the road and doing it in a lawful manner. We work very closely at at GHSA, our state highway safety offices, with the law enforcement community. Um, and, and, And we know that, you know, we need officers out there to equitably enforce the laws so that folks um, are, you know, not engaging in these risky behaviors. But I think it's important that we as drivers, as road users, pedestrians, bicyclists as well, need to stay up to date on what's happening out there. You know, we have some some organizations are provide defensive driving programs. Um, you know, AARP has an older driver, you know, kind of a, a mature operators program. Uh, the League of American Bicyclists offers, you know, uh, rider training programs. All of those are worthwhile, and I encourage folks to continue to get educated and stay up to date on what is happening and and monitor what's going on because we have a responsibility as road users to know what the laws are and to abide by them. You know, yeah, it's, an ex- it's an excellent point. And I, I don't I think a lot of times that that simple what seems like a fairly straightforward thing kind of is lost in a lot of the safety discussions, broadly speaking. So let's talk a little bit about distracted driving. As I mentioned, April is distracted driving month. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's it? We everybody spends a minute on the highway. You see somebody on their phone. It's not just the phone, uh, but it certainly is a contributor to it. So talk a little bit about if you would some of the you know state initiatives that 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 you all have focused on what what, mm-hmm. what seems to be working or not uh, anything like that sure sure i mean one of the things that we know off the bat and and i think it's important is for everybody to understand what distracted driving is it isn't just about you know a phone it can be a, a myriad of things that can distract you and take your mind and your eyes and your attention off the road um, and it's a problem that's persisted for years I would say that the influx of technology has certainly brought this to the forefront because we we see folks with their phones and you know we recognize this but as I mentioned before you know eating drinking having smoking a cigarette 
um, you know, um, fiddling with the radio or something else, you know, turning around to talk to a passenger, even when you're putting on your makeup. I see that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Grooving. I've seen a little bit of everything. I have some funny stories about things that we've seen out there. I mean, they're sad, but funny and, and scary at the same time. So distraction takes a lot of forms. And the thing I think that's important for folks to understand is that um, we want your hands on the wheel. You know, that's manual. We want that. We want to make sure your eyes are on the road so you're visually seeing and can take action. But the cognitive piece, the mental piece is really important. And I think that plays particularly into this issue with cell phones. When you're engaged in those cell phone conversations, you're attending, you're processing that information. And that's a cognitive task and driving is a cognitive task where you have to see and process it well. And there's research out there that says you can't do both at the same time. You're only going to be doing one. So knowing how quickly we have to react as drivers, we have to be cognitively focused on the task of driving. That's important. Especially when we're driving faster, right? I mean, that's the when we're driving faster. Absolutely. And if we're in areas where there's, you know, lots of traffic or there's people on foot, you know, urban areas especially. So I can't overstate this. And and as you know, when we look at what our state highway safety offices are doing, um, a lot of their focus is on trying to educate and get people to understand that, um, you know, this is a dangerous practice and that driving does take all your attention. It's not just about, you know, stepping on the accelerator turning the wheel. It's a lot of other things happening simultaneously. So they are trying to do a lot to educate the public about that. But we also partner with law enforcement. And there's been some very innovative things happening around the country. Tennessee, a few years ago, started their their bus tour is what they call it. They have a bus out there. They've got, uh, they work with the highway patrol and they have officers in the bus who can see down into vehicles. Um, they, you know, have officers on the road. They call up ahead and say, you know, white SUV license plate. They can stop and have a conversation. In some cases, they may issue a citation. Uh, Ohio has developed um, what they call distracted driving corridors, where they've looked at the crash data and the citation data and seen where they have quarters, where they have real problems. So they've stepped up enforcement out there and it's not to harass, but to get folks to understand this is dangerous to others. Um, And those corridors, they've started to see a downward trend in what's happening in terms of um, the behaviors, improvement in behaviors. Um, We have several states that are really focusing on positive social norming, which is a proven way to um, engage with folks. We know the vast majority of people want to do the right thing and do and are, you know, they are doing it. But they often people often have this misconception that, you know, they're not that that's not the case. And so by putting the message out that, you know, most people don't, you know, drive and use their cell phone at the same time, we all want to belong. You know, there's a natural inclination psychologically to want to be in the in crowd. So talking about it from that perspective makes a big difference. I think it's very, very important. But the one thing I want to stress that I think is most critical here is that with the issue of distraction, particularly with the use of phones and technology, there seems to be this mindset. The general public says it's dangerous. People shouldn't do it. It scares me when I see other people on their phones. I get upset. All parents tell their kids, put your phones away. Don't do it. Right. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. But here's the kicker. Research has, comp- has continued to show um, AAA does a traffic safety culture index every year. Nationwide just came out with some great research yesterday. People say, but you know what? I can do it. 
Yeah. I'm okay. I'm safe. I'm, I got it under control. It's everybody else out there that's the problem. And guess what? None of us can do it. Nobody can multitask. You just can't do it. So we have to change that culture. And that's one of the things that we are focused on at GHSA and with our state highway safety offices and other partners. We, we just announced a partnership the other day. We're working with General Motors to try to address this issue. We'll have a report coming out early June with, with ways that states can address this. Um, and so we think it's, you know, it's absolutely critical that we get folks to understand that you may think you can do it, but you can't. And we have to change that, that mindset. It's very, yeah, very that's a, that's, that may be that's probably more effective than any law change or, you know, whatever the case might be. It, it, I, I, I liken it a lot. You mentioned seatbelts and, and certainly, you know, I grew up, I'm 50 years old. I grew up never wearing a seatbelt, right? And, sure, and, me and, too. And I've got you beat by a few years, so yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I did the, you know, I've I spent a lot of time in the back of pickup trucks when I was a kid mm -hmm. too, and I'm not sure my kids have ever ridden in the back of a pickup truck, right. uh, you know, and that kind of thing. So, I mean, there, there's lots of changes that you can point to where people just learn that some of this behavior just isn't safe anymore. Uh, and, and we can, you know, that, that no, no law uh, is going to make somebody learn that until they, they, they sort of buy into the behavioral change. So right. that's, that's right. really important to, so talk just a minute about, uh, the, the work that you all do with, with NHTSA and the federal government. I know they have set up some standards for, for instance, not allowing states to, to change, for instance, their fatality numbers, sure. uh, sort of the allowable number to increase over year. Talk about that framework and how those things kind of work together. Yeah, I think it's important for your for everybody to understand that, um, you know, the, the state highway safety offices, as well as the DOTs, the Departments of Transportation, receive, you know, federal grant funds, congressionally mandated funds. We just had the huge infrastructure bill that was passed. That's very exciting news and it's going to put a, yeah. a new infusion of monies out there. But it does come with strings. You know, there's no free lunches, they say, right? So there are certain requirements. And one of the things that we do at the at GHSA is we have worked with NHTSA over the past decade to establish what are referred to as performance measures um, about, you know, fatalities, serious injuries, uh, pedestrian fatals, alcohol-related fatalities, and so forth. And the same thing has happened at the Departments of Transportation working with the Federal Highway Administration. These, um, and, and between the highway safety offices and the DOTs, um, they have some of these measures that, that we share, you know, particularly the fatalities and serious injuries. There have been challenges. We've been, and the way this was set up is that states were supposed to base this on a five-year trend, a kind of a moving average of what was happening with those numbers. And what we found is that, you know, the numbers go up and down year after year. They, they do tend to seesaw. And, and we, what we've had happen in the past two years, the numbers have gone up. They were, they were going down for some time. And so that really, that skews what's happening. If you're doing a five-year trend analysis and your numbers are going up and down and you, and you even them out, sometimes the numbers, you know, if you're going to shoot for a performance measure, it may actually say you're going up uh -huh. versus down. And so, you know, and we, that's not our goal. We want our numbers to go down. I mean, that's what we're trying to do. So we're really focused on, we, we're data-driven. Data drives everything we do. You know, the numbers 
are critical to us. And we're not just looking at crashes and fatalities and injuries, but we're looking at, you know, uh, citations and, and demographic information and, and all kinds of stuff. So that drives the work we do. And we have to, you know, use that to for resource allocation and so forth. So we are working with NHTSA um, to really look at, you know, how do we make sure that we're setting performance goals that are going downward? Because that is where we need to be. We have a, we have said, and there's a na new national road safety strategy that says zero is the only acceptable number. So if we're we're using this averaging thing and numbers are, you know, saying we should go up, we have to make adjustments. They have to be going down. So we are working closely with NHTSA and will be working closely with them to um, determine the best way to do this, recognizing that again, it's it, it's first driven by the data, you know, right. and you know yeah, the data. A, it's, it's interesting. It's a yeah, it's interesting because that, that's one of those practical things. I'm not sure many people have on the top of their list that they don't no. realize, you know, how those kind of factors might influence how we measure our progress in all of right. this. Right. Yeah, that's that's important for sure. Well, listen, Pam, you've got a partner in NAMIC and the insurance industry uh, in this effort. We um, obviously spend a lot of time and effort primarily on the advocacy side. We try to go get laws changed to, to sure. make, make cars safer, but also make drivers safer. Mm -hmm. uh, but anything we can do, I know our membership, all of them that write auto insurance are keenly aware of this problem. And the industry has a long track record in, in, in making positive change here. But it is an interesting dynamic that we have right now and that the, you know, the level of distraction, the level of fatalities are at, at sort of go opposite to what I think a lot of people have in their minds about what's really happening on the roadways today. So we thank you for your work. Uh, and, we, and we thank you for, for uh, looking forward to partnering with you going forward. And the industry is very willing to work together to move these things forward, but really for the betterment of all of us. So thank you. You're very welcome. We we really appreciate the partnership, and we look to the insurance industry. You have, you know, millions and millions of customers. They're drivers, yeah. and you know, working with us to convey the message to your insured that the decisions they make, the things they do, really do have an impact. Um, I think you know it's really really critical. And, um, you know, I'm so excited by the fact that many of the insurance companies now have safe driving apps. Yeah. They're rewarding folks for good behavior. That's a great way to yeah. push that culture change. Yeah. Um, they can send messaging to their customers to talk about, you know, some of these problems and what can you do to better protect yourself and, and your family and others out there on the road. Um, and I and I also, you know, point to um, the newest, I think, uh, work that's happening out there, and that is not just talking to the driver, but talking to the passengers. Mm. Um, we're saying to passengers now, hey, you're in the car and you see your friend or your parent or somebody pick up the cell phone, call them out on it, you know, yeah. say, hey, give me that phone, you know, take it away, I'll, I'll handle it for you. Yeah. Um, passengers need to speak up too. And I think, again, that can help with that social norming process. So the more we can, all of us in partnership, you know, communicating to our, you know, our stakeholders, our customers, you know, these are the kinds of things that you can do and also help them understand the magnitude of this problem. I mean, there's a there's a belief out there in this country that we've solved the seatbelt problem. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people say, well, nobody drinks and drives. Yeah, they do. Right. So, 
we have to continue to convey that information to our folks, use our communications channels. So we appreciate, you know, your opportunities that you have um, to convey this this message, you know, through your membership and they in turn to their customers. Um, because the more we can talk about this and put this out there in front of them, um, the better. Absolutely. Yep. It's great. Well, we'll do it for certain. Well, Pam Fisher, Governor's Highway Safety Association, thank you very much again for joining us today. We'll check in with you again. My, my guess is maybe we'll give it, you know, next April, we'll probably be distracted driving month again, and maybe we'll do a follow-up, and, and maybe hopefully we can see the numbers change a bit, and we can talk about some success. That would be fantastic. And in the meantime, I encourage everybody out there who's listening to, you know, think about those things you're doing that maybe aren't what you should be doing behind the wheel or maybe as you're walking or biking or whatever. And um, and let's make safety priority one. So, you know, again, you get home every day and you can be with your family. Yeah, it's a great message. Thanks again, Pam. Appreciate it. You're very, very welcome. Have a great day. You too. And that's all for this episode of Insurance Uncovered. We'll be back on May 4th with more insurance news and interviews. In the meantime, if there is a topic or issue you'd like us to uncover, don't hesitate to let us know. You can always send us an email at uncovered at Until next time, I'm Kathy Imus. Have a terrific day.